Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Who recognizes the name Enid Strict? Anybody recognize that name? Not one person. I'm a little amazed. Who recognizes the television show Saturday Night Live? Enid Strict, Saturday Night Live. Anybody want to guess who Enid Strict is? She has a much more popular name. The name that you've probably heard of her by is the... There you go. You put it together. Great job. What do you think about the church lady? You know, ah, she's Dana Carvey as the church lady. And it makes us laugh, doesn't it? I mean, I laugh when I watch the church lady because there's a couple kinds of humor that we all, I think, acknowledge. There's a kind of humor that is intended from a heart of humility that makes us understand ourselves a little bit better. And and its intent is not to tear down. Its intent is to start a conversation. And and so it's, it's really good sometimes to... To, to have humor even about the church because maybe that humor gets us to recognize that there are some things that as Christians we might need to address in ourselves. Have we been too judgmental? Have we looked down on others and, and put down others who don't have the ideas and the thoughts that we have about God. There's a healthy side to humor, and we use humor from the stage here because there's a healthy side to it. But you know, and I know, don't you, that there can be an unhealthy side to humor. We might call it being snarky. And The intent of snarky humor is not to build the other person up. It's to put them in their place. To tear them down a little bit. To maybe break them down a little bit and their thoughts. And and we do that because we feel like they need to recognize to get off their high horse. And so we snark. Sometimes I feel like with the church lady, there's a healthy result of me looking at myself as a Christian and asking myself too, is there a humility that I don't have that I need to pursue with God's help? And sometimes, frankly, with the church lady, I'm not sure of the motive. One thing I can tell you that Dana Carvey did model her after some real church ladies that he grew up with and admits that he didn't like. Admits that 
He especially didn't like that they were there hovering over him, taking his church attendance every week. And so it really felt like these ladies were attacking him. And so now all these many years later, he's fighting back against that. Have you ever had that as a person, had, had someone snark at you? Maybe it wasn't even about your Christianity. Maybe it was just about another personality trait that they felt you needed to be educated on. And so the, the, the little joke, the little piece of humor, the snipe, the scoff was intended to bring you down. Maybe it was about your Christianity. It often does happen that we get attacked for our Christianity. Here's the interesting thing. And as we embark on today's journey into God's word, we're going to be going all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 3. And and sometimes I I think that when, when we start to be concerned about the breakdown of belief, we get concerned about the dramatic, the forceful. When we start to think, I, I mentioned before that there is a supernatural, spiritual, capital I influencer behind all of these things to break down our belief. Do you know who that is? Notice I didn't say what that is. It's Satan. And that becomes clear already in Genesis chapter 3. But if you've had a picture in your mind of how Satan works that kind of begins with a movie like The Exorcist, your idea of Satan is people being thrown against walls, heads spinning around, vomit coming out, the direct satanic, what we might call frontal attack. Is that typically how Satan works? Let's take a look. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to read through the whole part, and then we'll we'll come back and, and break it down later. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This passage is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible because it tells us the story of why we are the way we are today. 
It tells us the story of why the world is the way it is today. But it also tells us, very importantly, that there is a real capital I influencer, a supernatural influencer, a spirit that is at work in our world, just as the Apostle Paul says many thousands of years later that our our enemies are not flesh and blood, our true enemies are the dark forces in the spiritual realms. And we see that at work here. Here's sort of the thesis of today's message. If we don't want our faith to break down, we have to understand that the attacks are not merely natural. That the, the attacks, the hammers that come at our faith to break us down, to break it into pieces, are truly beyond worldly. They are supernatural. And especially Satan. And this is what we see. We see him intervening. And I know it doesn't say Satan. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. But this is clearly more than just any serpent. For one thing, snakes don't have vocal cords. So how is this snake talking unless something supernatural is going on here? Much later on in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, Satan is referenced as that dragon, that ancient serpent who deceives and brings down the entire world. It's very clear from the rest of the Bible who this is. This is Satan at work. Now, I want you to notice something that says right away in verse 1. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Maybe you never noticed this before, but I want you to circle just one word here because it is so critical and so important. And I wish, and I'm going to share a little bit of the Hebrew here with you, the original language that this was written in because it's so key. Circle the word really, and I want you to write A-P-H exclamation point. A-P-H next to it. The reason I'm having you is that would be the English version of the Hebrew word. And let me ask you how it sounds to you if you were to tell me something truthful and I were to say, off, off, really? That's what you think? That's what Satan is doing here. Do you hear the sarcasm? Do you hear the Saturday Night Live tone here? Do you hear a whisper of the church lady? Because that's exactly what Satan is doing. And let's go back to those two kinds of humor. Is Satan the humble one who simply wants Eve and Adam with her to be humble themselves and realize their humanity? Or is this someone who wants to destroy them and break down their faith and is using the snark 
to be the most effective tool. Do you notice what it says about him? Now, the serpent was more what? Crafty. What does that mean? What it means is Satan's main tool will never be the direct frontal attack. That's not crafty. Crafty means, and actually another definition from the original language is subtle. What we could translate it, now Satan was more subtle than any other creature that the Lord God had made. And he knows, being the subtle, crafty enemy that he is, that the best way to get at Eve and later Adam is not to come from the direct path and attack them with a strong frontal attack, but to get at their heart by saying, really? Really? Is that what God said? Because that doesn't sound very reasonable to me. I mean, didn't he let you eat of all the other trees and plants in the garden? And now now you're telling me that there's this tree that you're not supposed to, to eat from? Really? And, and here's why I tell you this. This approach, when we go back to last week, test the spirits, who are allies to the main spirit, the main influencer, one of the first things that we need to be aware of is the subtlety of this supernatural being's approach and his allies' approach. Anybody recognize the name Neil deGrasse Tyson? Famous astrophysicist. Famous because he's also a celebrity. He hosts the show Cosmos. And very well-respected, very intelligent. Several Christmases ago, he, uh, he sent out a couple of tweets. I'm going to share them with you. On this day, long ago, a child was born who by age 30 would transform the world. Awesome, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Who's he clearly talking about there? Happy birthday, Isaac Newton, born December 25th, 1642. Let's do the next one. Merry Christmas to all, a pagan holiday, B.C., becoming a religious holiday, A.D., which then became a shopping holiday, U.S.A. (laughs) What's great about humor is there's always this little element of truth to it, isn't there? And and frankly, I'm going to tell you as believers, it it is a little bit hard to defend against, isn't it? Because if someone is snarking, what do you do? Do you snark back? Because snarking back just seems like you've lowered yourself to their level, and if you don't say anything, then it just kind of sits hanging there, doesn't it? Influencing hearts and minds. Take a look at the last one. Question this year... What do all the world's Muslims and Jews call December 25th? Thursday. It's true. And yet, what's his intent? Is his intent to get us to be a little bit more 
humble, a little bit more realizing that, hey, we're, we're all human and we all have our, our foibles and we all make our mistakes? Or is his intent to break down our belief? Here's, here's the first thing I want you to write in. Really? Really? Off? This is often, even in today's world, the snark that sets the heart tone for the breakdown of belief. See, Satan is going to come for your heart first. And he's subtle, so he's not likely to come at it directly. This is why, by the way, the Bible says, pay attention to mockers. Take a look at the next verse I, I, I put down there. Proverbs 29, 8 and 9. Mockers stir up a city, but the wise turn away anger. If a wise person goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs. And there is no peace. It, it's so important for us to understand that very often... <laughs> Even the, even the people that you'd expect the most reasoning, logical, intellectual arguments, Anil deGrasse Tyson, for example, doesn't lead with his intellect. He leads with humor. He leads with scoffing, sniping, and snarking. Because even if he doesn't fully recognize it, Satan knows that's a great way to send a barb into our hearts. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now, if only the story ended there. With Satan merely sniping. With Satan merely snarking. Let's turn the page. Before we go back to Genesis 3, I want to go fast forward into the New Testament. Last week, Pastor Dan talked about the woman who had been caught in an act of adultery and how Jesus mercifully and graciously uh, did for her what he's done for all of us. He, he forgives her. He graces her. He shares his love with her and he says, go away and don't sin anymore. Don't live this life that you're living anymore. You're, you're forgiven. And in John chapter 8, the amazing thing is that this display of grace and forgiveness starts a big backlash amongst the people that are listening and following Jesus. And they start attacking him. Jesus knows, in fact, if you read John chapter 8, that they're already planning to murder him. And he points out in this passage that, I know, I know what your guy's goal is because I know who your father is. I know why you're verbally attacking me right now and arguing against me. I know why in your heart and your mind you actually already have decided you want me to be dead because spiritually you're a descendant of someone who is a liar and a murderer. 
Let's take a look at how Jesus puts that. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Listen to that carefully, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. This is Jesus saying, understand Satan's, his deepest identity. When we talk about our identity, we say, because of Christ, because of the cross and the empty tomb, we are, do you know how to finish that? You say it all the time, Pastor Dan said it just last week. Dearly loved children of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Look at who Jesus says Satan is. By contrast, the very opposite of a child of God, this is someone who wants to murder and destroy and who will stoop to any lie to deceive God's children. He speaks his native language. This is who he is. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now with that, with Jesus telling us who this is, let's go back to the front page and let's, let's take it to the next step. Satan leads with the snark, but he doesn't stop there. The woman said to the serpent, we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now Satan comes with the lie. You will not certainly die. Circle that word certainly. We'll come back to it in a moment. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In the Hebrew language, there's actually no word certainly there. That's why I just circle it. But every time you want to get that concept across, if you're a Jewish person speaking your native language, you will repeat the word twice. And so, in the original language, this says something like this. You will not die dying. When, when Joseph, when his coat was brought back by his brothers after, um, after it after they had torn it to pieces and put goat's blood on it, if you know that story from later on in Genesis, the description in the original language is Joseph's coat was torn and torn. And in English, we say torn to pieces. And so when we read here in Genesis this repetition, this is Satan saying, how could you think that God would have you certainly die? Like, this isn't Eve. You're not thinking about murdering Adam here. You're not already plotting to have adultery, commit adultery against your husband. You're not lying. Like, those would be sins, Eve. Reasonably speaking, we all get that those would be sins, but this is, 
Think about this. See, this is eating from a tree. What is so bad about that? You will not certainly die. Do you know what was so bad about that? Eating from a tree? Taking a bite of fruit? What was so ultimately destructive about this sin was not the eating of the fruit, but the separation from God and his will. What was so truly destructive and horrible about this sin is that Eve and Adam were living in a garden where God was extremely generous and kind and loving and providing every day, present with them. The the book of Genesis seems to indicate that God himself would come back and come down and walk with them in in the cool of the day. God loved them. And showed his love in a thousand different ways every day. And he, and he said to Adam and Eve, there's a way that you can return this love. Just don't take that fruit and eat it from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And ultimately, even that was to prevent them from harming themselves. What was so bad about this was Eve stopped trusting, first of all, God's reasonableness. But then do you notice what Satan does next? He impugns and attacks God's motive. You know why God doesn't want you to eat that fruit, don't you? Because he wants to keep you down, Eve. He doesn't want you to fulfill your, your potential and know good and evil the way that, that he does. Look, Eve, if you eat this fruit, what God knows is you're going to step up and become just like him. And that's the last thing God wants. What's that doing? That's not just talking any longer about God's reasonableness. It's talking about his goodness. Eve, do you really still believe that God is good to you, to Adam? How can you believe that when he's trying to keep you down? Do you think we ever have those thoughts nowadays? Do you think that we ever suffer a little bit from saying in our ego, I think I know how to take good care of this situation. I think I I know the right path. I have a vision for my life. I know what needs to happen next. And kind of God gets pushed to the side. I think it happens a lot. And you know what one of the big signs that that's happening is? Not murder. Not adultery. Not dishonesty. I think you're going to be surprised to hear what it is. The sign that your ego is taking over and you're saying... (laughs) to yourself, I have a better picture of my future than God does. It's a little thing called anxiety. Why do we get anxious? Precisely because we do have a picture of how our life should go. Our business should go. 
Our family should go. Our marriage should go. Our fun should go. We have a very concrete picture in our mind. I've even talked to young people sometimes who mentally have built a calendar in their mind. By age 24, I'll have the girl of my dreams. By age 26, we'll be married. By age 28, the first child comes along, unless I want to play video games a little bit longer, and then it'll be age 30. Now, what happens when you get to 24 and the girl hasn't shown up yet? And now you're at age 26, the girl still hasn't shown up and you're nowhere close to being engaged or having a wedding day. You get anxious. And anxiety starts to take over and you're like, I'm, I've, notice, ego, I've lost control. Has God lost control? Never. And he never will. So the answer to all of this is not to allow ourselves to listen to Satan's lies and to become disconnected from the good and reasonable heart of God as Eve does here. So turn, turn the page. Your next fill-in is, no, here's what's certainly happening. And that's the lie that unsettles and untethers our minds from God. When we listen to, to Satan say, let, let me explain what's certainly going on with God here. Now, what, what's the real answer? Well, part of it, Pastor Dan shared with you last week. And I'm just going to, sort of come back to that. Because Pastor Dan said, look, if we're going to test the spirits, and today we're saying if we are going to resist the capital S spirit, the capital I influencer for evil, the the liar and the father of lies, the one who's a murderer from the beginning, we need armor. And and I'm just going to tell you, if, if you look at Ephesians 6, now I'm not going to put it up for you, but notice that passage there. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, against his snarks and against his lies. I didn't have space to put in the notes what follows. Let me, let me listen, let, let me read for you, and you can just listen if you want to read along. It's Ephesians chapter 6. He says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is supernatural, not natural. He goes on to say, therefore, put on the full armor of God, and then he explains what it is. Now, you know, don't you, that Paul is Jewish, And so some of those cultural things about being Jewish come out here. And one of them is one that I already explained to you, that when you want to emphasize an important point and say certainly about something, what do you do? You repeat. Listen to what Paul does here, because he repeats. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Repetition. You want to be able to stand. Stand firm then. Oh, there it is again. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Belt of truth. What's a belt of truth? Right? Here's God's truth. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. Where do we find Christ's righteousness that says, you don't have to be holy because Christ has been holy for you. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Where's the gospel? Bible. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Where does even the Bible itself say, here's where you get faith? From the Bible. The Holy Spirit will work supernaturally on you. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is, now Paul says it one last time very clearly, which is the word of God. If we want to be protected, if we want to be shielded, if we want to be armored against the attacks of Satan and against the spirits, we have to be bathed, we have to be blanketed, we have to be immersed in the Bible. Then, there's something that maybe you haven't heard yet. Let's go one step further than that. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of, full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Do you know why I put that verse in there? Go back to Genesis 3 real quick. Verse 6. Scan down front of the page. When the woman... When the woman, what? What's the action there? Saw. What she used to see? Which are the lamp of the body, Jesus says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves be immersed in the word of God number one foundational and then what Jesus and what Genesis teach us is pay attention to where your eyes are going I think if Eve had not gone to that tree and started staring at it, there might not have been a sin. Ask yourself, what do I have my eyes look at? If I'm angry, do I constantly turn my eyes toward my enemy so I can hate him even more and make it even harder to forgive him? If my heart is filled with lust, is it because I'm constantly looking at images that provoke that lust? If, if I'm greedy, is it because I can't stop myself getting on Amazon or going to the mall 
and constantly looking at images of the next thing that's going to supposedly finally make me happy. The eyes are so important after the heart. What Jesus is saying is, what you let in through your eyes is very important. So, in the Spirit's power, take control of your eyes, manage them, and point them in godly directions. Here's what you can write down. Satan is smart, he's crafty, so he gives Eve, like any good salesman, quiet time to think about what he's already done, doesn't he? He says, let's just let our eyes take over. In September, I bought a new truck. I'd had my old truck for like 16 years. I had a salesman. He was beautiful at this. Let me show you the truck. Now he walks away and just leaves me standing by the truck. I think that's what Eve got. That's how she was treated. Like, let's go take a look at that tree, Eve. I'm not saying you should touch it or eat it. Let's go look at it. The eyes are important. And the silence is important. Just because the devil doesn't seem to be yapping in your ear right now doesn't mean he's not at work because he's a smart salesman. The silence, the misdirected eyes settle on an object of desire and ego and that determines the next action. All right, what's the answer? Let's, let's close this out. The answer is pretty simple, isn't it? I need a savior. If I'm going to defeat this capital I influencer, I need someone to come and crush his head because he ain't going to change. And this is exactly what God comes into the garden and promises Adam and Eve. I'm going to send you someone to crush the head of Satan. To destroy him. As, as even 1 John says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And that is exactly and beautifully and wonderfully what Jesus did for us. Eve and Adam were at a tree, weren't they? And At that tree, they determined that they needed to take the place of God. And it led our entire world into sin and destruction. Many years later, Jesus was also faced with a tree. And at that tree, Jesus was told, if you take up that tree, you will be destroyed. You will be demolished. You will die so that the entire world can live. We know the anguish of decision. If we know, if we think that Adam and Eve went through anguish deciding what to do with that fruit, go back to the Garden of Gethsemane, another garden where Jesus was making his decision about what to do and the anguish that he experienced and then ultimately decided, I will I will be on that tree 
for the sake of all mankind, for their forgiveness, to show that I love them. And that's the beautiful thing, right? In the garden, Satan says to Eve, can you trust God? Can you trust his reasonableness, his goodness? And at the cross, what does Jesus do about that distrust? He gets on the cross in immense love, a love that sacrifices itself, himself, for all of us. And he says, yes, you can trust me. Let me stretch out my hands, have my feet nailed to this tree so that you can know the depth of my love the greatness of my grace and forgiveness, and know that what Satan said in the garden is a lie. To even indicate that you cannot trust God, well, that's shown to be a lie by me taking up this tree and being nailed to it. You can trust me in my love. You know what's even pretty cool? Let's go back to the joke. When we trust that Jesus is our savior, now who's the joke on? When we trust that Jesus is our savior, do you find yourself in a little bit of joy and almost humorously saying, me? Jesus loved me, the sinner, enough to save me? That's, that's funny. That's amazing. Jesus loved me enough to die for me. Jesus is one day going to give me eternal life in heaven. Oh my goodness, I want to laugh. Because the joke is no longer on me. The joke is on the one who tried to destroy me and the world. I love that about what Jesus does for you and me. He takes up the tree so we don't have to. He shows us we can trust him despite our tendency to not and to then become anxious. And then he says, enjoy it, laugh a little because all of these blessings that I'm giving you are truly and really yours. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your love in sending your son Jesus to crush the head of Satan and to destroy his work. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. And you show us constantly that we can trust you. And no, nowhere better do you show us that than by your son Jesus climbing up on the cross for us. Help us to today walk away from this message truly enjoying that we are forgiven, truly enjoying that we have a peace that goes beyond all understanding and truly, truly willing to immerse ourselves in those truths every day and becoming more and more confident in you. Lord, we, we lift this prayer up to you in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Boy, you believe in Jesus, and I thank God that the Holy Spirit has done that in your heart. But today's message is also about 
asking yourself this, do I believe in Satan? And do I respect him? Do I respect his ability to destroy stuff, to destroy my heart and the belief that lies in it? Do I respect the power of the snark? Do I respect the power of the lie? Do I respect the power of the silence? Because that method, the snark, the lie, the silence, that never changes and it never will. It's still going to be coming at you. And that's why we all need that Jesus who died on the cross for us. Because only in him can we have the strength to withstand the temptations of Satan and when we fall, to circle back to his grace and forgiveness. Let me send you out with with, uh, the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen. Have a great week and the Lord will see you back here next week.